You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. And now on to our guest. Sister Rosalind Heil grew up on a farm in Marathon, Wisconsin, with eight sisters and three brothers. She made her first vows with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration in 1970, left after nine years, and returned in 2004. She is a graduate of the Turbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin, with a bachelor's degree in teaching social studies, and she also holds a master's degree in culture and creation spirituality. She has served as a liturgist, a national park interpretive ranger, as a chaplain, and now as a pastoral associate at St. Mary's Parish on the Bad River Ojibwe Reservation in Odena, Wisconsin. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business, we talk with Sister Rosalind about how being in nature really taught her how to meditate. We discuss how everything is here and now and how with God, time functions differently. We explore truth, what it is, and how the natural world helps us know what's true. And we examine the beauty of going barefoot as a way to connect with the earth. Enjoy. Hello, Sister Rosalind Heil. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Why, thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, so Sister Rosalind, you are one of my Franciscan sisters of Perpetual Adoration, and it's a joy to be in the same community as you. I've known you. Oh, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I've known you uh, since we... Since I visited FSPA, our community, uh, for the first time way back in 2003, and we were just um, talking before the interview and realized that was the same year that you re-entered the FSPA, and we'll get into what that means for the listeners in a moment, but uh, before I hear about your story, which is a lovely one, and... I would love to hear you describe what it means for you to be a member of the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, our community. Well, to me, the FSPA, the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, is my direct limb from the source of the vine. Because you, as Franciscan Sisters, give me that juice that keeps me going to do what I am here to do. And I think of you, and I've known you as, in many ways, the nature nun. <laughs> going back all the way to around the time when the Vatican II reforms were happening, um, shortly thereafter, in 1967, was when you first entered our community. 
And then you left, but not really. (laughs) You returned in 2003. And in those 28 years in between, you went off to live a wonderful life in many ways as a Franciscan out in the world, including serving as a National Park Interpretive Ranger. Can you tell us about that chapter of your life? I grew up with the Franciscan sisters. They taught me from grade one to high school. I have two aunts that are FSBA. So the Franciscan sisters were a part of my life from day one. My dad, he was the nature man also. He taught me how to meditate. And yet when I entered community and we would gather every morning at 10 after six and meditate for a half hour, I didn't know what to do Hmm. because I wasn't used to doing it in church. When I made the connection that it's the same as what I would do just being in creation, like my dad would be, we prayed the rosary many times, laying on the grass, looking up at the stars at the end of the day. I knew how to meditate then. And so when I was able to put those two together, my experience of God just opened up. And my whole life has been shaped by that. And so those nine years in community, I soaked into what it means to be a Franciscan sister. Living with others was easy. I had eight sisters and three brothers. That was the easy part. Coming to the convent was really like, this is easy. This is a no brainer. Mm -hmm. So I came to realize that my family growing up on the farm trained me to live connected to one another. And what happens to one happens to the other, which jumps into being a national park ranger. I was blessed to work at John Muir National Historic Site in California. That was my first job. So my job was the reading John Muir. He knew the whole New Testament, three quarters of the Old Testament by time he was 12 years old, by heart. Hmm. And so the scriptures enveloped and integrated in his whole life as a naturalist, as recognizing all of creation is one web of life. And I bring him up because I could quote John Muir in the, in the national parks as an interpretive ranger. I couldn't tr- quote the Bible. And he spoke of so many ways in which we are all the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration interweaves that awareness that we are all one we are all brothers and sisters and so my whole life wove into those themes of making those connections and when there's not a connection I come to define sin as thinking or acting or believing that we're disconnected mm-hmm. we're separate uh, which can trigger a lot of things in this individualistic country But when we think we're separate from everybody else, we act and believe we're disconnected. And we have turned our face to the whole of the body of Christ. Mm. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Preach it, sister. (laughs) I would love for you to tell us more about John Muir and his influence on the United States, on your spirituality, and what we as Christians could be incorporating from his teachings into our lives today. 
Stan Muir is really powerfully connected, interwoven in how I see life. He came to this country from Scotland when he was 12 years old with his father to set up a farm down at um, near Spring Green. Scotland and Wisconsin are similar latitudes, so it makes sense that that's where the, here, here's where the, he would, they would come. And his father was an interior preacher, a hell and brimstone one. And he had to memorize scripture passages every morning. I mean, every day and quote them at supper. And when he had those memorized, he could go out and play. Well, he had a photographic memory. So he, he memorized them really quick to the point that he could discuss with his father any scripture passage because he knew it. He just didn't memorize it. He knew it. And he was an avid reader. And he had friends that would loan him books who worked at the University of Madison in botany. Mm. And one day his father was really disgusted. John, why don't you go to bed with the rest of us? If you want to read so bad, get up earlier. So he made himself an alarm clock. He had never seen the insides of a clock. And he used gears and locks on his bed that at three o'clock in the morning, it would uh, release a, a latch and the bed would literally tip him out of bed. Wait, wait, wait. I just need to know, what year are we talking about? Early 1800. That alarm clock, his friend who gave him the books convinced him to take it to the World Fair in Madison. And it was the highlight of the World Fair that year. So he was an incredible inventor. And during the Civil War, he was a conscientious objector. So he went to Canada. And he hired himself in a broom factory. Well, he was always inventing better ways of doing things. But one day there was a splinter of the wood that hit him in the eye. And consequently, both eyes went blind for two weeks. Mm. And as the eye healed, he got his eyesight. Mm. But those two weeks of, of retreat, he realized he could either be a millionaire being an inventor or he could live fully using his eyesight at one with all creation. So he left his job and walked what we call now the Appalachian Trail, which follows the whole back of the Appalachian Mountains. And then he crossed over what is now the Panama Canal, got on a ship and went to California, asked the storekeeper, what's the fastest way to the wilderness? And he hired himself out as a sheep herder in what is now Yosemite National Park. And that's where he was inspired. He called sheep four hoof locusts who just eat everything out, house and home. And we need to take care of this land. And mm -hmm. so he began to write. And his writing led Yosemite to be made a state park. The national park was not in, in the awareness at the time. So Yosemite was the first state park in California and he married the daughter of a fruit rancher, which he inherited. And Louisa at times would say, John, you're going crazy. Go out into the wilderness. And he would go and walk. He went up to Alaska. He, and then he would tell stories to his two daughters uh, of all of creation. Hmm. And he met Teddy Roosevelt. He was inspirational in making Yellowstone a national park. His writing led to the Sierra Club. So those are ways in which his life and his perspective on how we relate to the rest of creation as brother and sister creatures. 
that led to the Sierra Club, the National Park Service, and the National Park Service is different than the National Forest in that we need to preserve the land so that we can learn how the rest of creation lives in harmony with each other. The rest of creation has to teach us something. Whereas the National Forest is part of the uh, Department of Agriculture, let's conserve it so we can keep using it. Very different. Through it all, was he a practicing Christian? And was he continuing to integrate what it meant to be a follower of Jesus into a person who was in gentle relationship with all of creation? I think he connected directly with God in the spirit. Because uh, uh, I think his father turned him off. Mm-hmm. He, his father was a hell and brimstone preacher who believed in spare the rod and spoil the child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had a very difficult relationship with his father. Mm. And uh, I think his father was too closely connected to the Christianity. Mm. For me, John Muir opens up that bigger world of including everyone as brother and sister. Mm. He knew the gospels and he integrated it in. He went into God's cathedrals to pray. Mm-hmm. And is that an invitation for us Christians today? Absolutely. As you were asking that question, I connected to Chardin. Tell me more. Uh, Tejard de Chardin, I assume? The, yeah, Tejard de Chardin. I, learned, uh, I first learned about Tejard de Chardin from Father John Hegel in my philosophy class at Viterbo. And I, I just like, wow, um, he, I connected with him also. And I think of the time when Deschardins was in Northern China and he was, he's a pre, he was a priest and he wanted to celebrate mass, yet he had no bread, he had no wine. And he looked around Siberia, high deserts of China and said, this is the body of Christ right here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the link between the two, John Muir and Tay Chardin, that's where I connect that web together. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the heart of John Muir's teachings and of Christianity both is that God is in all things. God is in all creation. God is in, in the beauty and the oneness and the interdependence of nature. And how God, what God has overflowed and created. And we say that every time we celebrate mass through him, with him, and in him. We are in the heart of God. We are in the heart of the Eucharist. To me, that's such a powerful time of my meditation. When I sit in the heart of Christ. Knowingly. And meditation is knowing we're here in the heart of Christ. We are here. Yeah. We are, we are surrounded and we are part of Christ in every moment. Yes. Cause so often I have said, there is no there, there. Everything is here. <laughs> it's like the, the, par- the paradox about now, right? Yep. Tell can, do you want to explain that for the listeners? Oh, well, I'm going to go back to father John Hegel again. 
Okay. Um, when he talked about Cronus time and chronological time, he said now, or Jesus walking on the earth, uh, is like in the middle core of a sphere. And now is that middle core of the sphere. Chronological time is any place along the sphere. And when we do chronological time, we straighten out the sphere, just like we do on with the globe of Earth, when we straighten out a, a map. Mm, we try to make it flat when it's actually three-dimensional. Yes. Uh-huh. And in the core of the sphere of who we are is the now. Mm. is the here Mm. where we are we get caught up in the chronological Mm. and when life gets hectic and I'm caught up in the chronological I take a deep breath and go into the now to the core of what is here when I was learning about spiritual practices and contemplation as a a newbie Franciscan, I was uh, being challenged, I think by our sisters, some of those that you know too. Julia, just be now, be here now. Like stop, stop dwelling about the past. Stop worrying about the future. Right here, right now is what we got. And just be in this moment. And I think one of our sisters gave me a book that was about sort of everyday enlightenment and how we could be in union with God in the sacred and the ordinary things. And for me, it transformed the way I wait in line. (laughs) (laughs) And now I find waiting in line, like just almost like a contemplative pause in my busy days. Like, oh, I get to wait in in the checker line and I get to look around and I get to just enjoy the people in the moment instead of being rushing, 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 rushing to the next thing. I won't say I'm always doing this 100%, but but it has shifted my attitude and helped me to grow in patience. Is that part of our Franciscan charism, do you think, is being in the presence and being open to the sacredness of, of a particular moment? I think of Francis and I would say, yes, that's why he would go out into creation. You mean St. Francis of Assisi? Yes. When I went to Assisi, I walked the hills around Assisi and it was just so gorgeous. And I'm going, I'm walking up that mountain. Why would you go in a cave, Francis? This doesn't make sense to me. Well, because all creation just speaks to me of it. And then I went into his cave Mm -hmm. with total darkness. And I thought, wow, yes, because all of creation can be a distraction as well Mm -hmm. from going deep within. As I am a microcosm of the whole, only when I go deep within am I in the now of who I am right here. And so going in that dark cave closed off all those other distractions in order to go deep within. Let's go back to the part of the story where you re-entered the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. Sister Marla Lang, our president, worked in Jubilee, took Jubilee serious, and made connections with people for healing around people who had left community. Mm. And so she wrote me up an apology of their role that determined in my leaving 27 years earlier. And Mm -hmm. so in the conversations that followed, 
I was drawn to re-enter community, said, yes, please reapply. So then you came to community and you, I know worked at Marywood Spirituality Center, where I used to be on staff as well in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. I know you were a chaplain during the worst of pandemic. Bell Tower in Merrill with the Holy Cross Sisters. Yeah. Now you've, you've recently moved and you are serving as the pastoral associate at St. Mary's Church in Odena, Wisconsin. It's on the Bad River Reservation for the Ojibwe Native Americans. And you have a wonderful passion and uh, solidarity for people who are Native American. Tell me about that. When I worked in the national parks, I purposely chose parks all across the country so I'd get a feel of what life was like, what were the struggles there. When I worked in these parks, I said, the best way to speak of the wisdom and relationship with this land were the first peoples. And as I would delve into how they lived on that land, I discovered that telling their stories, their, the stories of their people in that land was the best way to do it. And my supervisors would say, tell more stories. It's the best part of your program. Mm-hmm. So I, I found out that like my dad, I was a storyteller. (laughs) And so that storytelling has woven into my life as well. I told stories at Our Lady of the Lake grade school here at Ashland. And so I go to the classrooms. It's one way to connect with the children of the Native peoples and tell Native stories and then weave in the Christian perspective. Mm. So for you, storytelling is a way of helping people to make connections. It's a way to weave together truths. Yes. And children more yesterday than ever, children said, is that true? Uh, Buck Goldstorff, who's a Lakota uh, Sioux elder, was a teacher of mine in my master's program, said all stories are true. Some of the details just haven't happened yet. And some may never happen. (laughs) And one of the boys, what was he, second grade, he says, are those true? And so I said that, and, and he looked at me, and, he, and I said, the details help us remember the story. Mm. The details make a connection with us. And he goes, oh, and he sat down and continued to listen to the story. And I'm going, that's an important part. That's why we have the details. We get in trouble in a lot these days. Because we're hung up on the facts of the details. We give details more credence than the truth of the story. Mm. We use the details to get what we want or get our view put in. And we lose the truth of the story. Mm. What is truth? Even Jesus was asked that. And Benjamin Franklin said, going back to the natural world, connects us to what is really true and he grew up as a Quaker and to me it weaves back into that recognition that all of creation is the body of Christ when we get to our connection with the whole web of life we are connected to our roots with the whole of creation and that's where we can learn the truth the more we spend with the whole body of Christ and not just the organ that's called homo sapiens. 
or humans. <laughs> We're just one organ in the body of Christ. There's always a deeper true or a truer true, right? Or an everlasting truth, the eternal truth. It's not just like, oh yeah, that was true then, but it's not true now. Like some truths might be temporary, but if we are in the deeper truths, then we're touching on probably what's universally true, right? What Or what is universally true, which is that all are one. God is good. <laughs> all is love. We are here. Now is now. <laughs> and as a doctrine of the church back, I think in two or 300 AD said, truth is when it is true always, in all ways, in all time. Mm. And if it is not true always in all situations, then it is a detail. Then it's data. <laughs> right. Oh, how about that? That's such a good way to Which say it. Which goes back to the truth of the story. <laughs> yeah. Truth of the story. And the, and the power of storytelling, I think, is that it brings us to a, this place of wonder and awe and making connections. It invites people into their hearts and instead of, in, in their heart space instead of their analytical space. Or sometimes it's a blending of the, the brain and the body and the heart because maybe we have an emotional reaction while we're also having an insight in our mind. You know, and there's just so many layers, layers to the goodness. Prior to this interview, I asked you what one of your greatest passions is. And you said that you love to radiate God's love and light. What do you mean by that? Everything is energy. All energy is light. When we recognize that God is the all of everything, that's how we are in with and through God. And God is in with and through all. What we see around us is simply light slowed down enough to take physical form. So when I recognize I am light radiating divine presence, I am a spark of this huge energy that's beyond imagination, beyond comprehension. And I am this drop in the ocean or spark of light that is slowed down enough so that others can experience what love is, who God is, that God is light and we are love. To me, when I radiate God's love and light, I am creating a safe space, mm -hmm. a safe presence for another to be who they are. They don't have to find excuses. They can let go of guilt or shame or trauma. The number one first vital step to being healed of trauma is to be in a safe space. So my work is to create a safe space. When people feel safe, they can share their story. They can name what they need to name in order to let go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so much of what you're saying, Rosalind, is for me, um, an articulation of the ministry of chaplain, right? Someone who is there in, with people in their, in their suffering, uh, offering spiritual support, listening and, and companioning them through really the highs and lows of life. And at the same time, it's an articulation of our congregation, our Franciscan community's mission, 
which is about loving presence. And when I'm talking about what our FSPA charism is, I think of the Eucharist and how the Eucharist in the monstrance in our adoration chapel in La Crosse, Wisconsin, is a loving presence teaching us how to be a loving presence for others. And Jesus himself is there in the blessed sacrament. He's silent. He's listening. He's still. He's not non-judgmental. He's loving. He's present. <laughs> and in that presence of the blessed sacrament, many of us come to know healing, come to know strength, validation. We're able to step into our authenticity with much more integrity because we feel a greater freedom to be real and be true to who we are. So Jesus models that for us in the Eucharist. All of creation models that for us in its interdependent relationships, right? And the, the oneness of all creation and the ways that things are dying and rising together all the time. And that, I think, is our community's charism. Yeah. I remember when uh, I first returned and Sister Beth asked in our group of all of us who were in new in community, what did the Eucharist mean? What did perpetual adoration mean to us? Well, I had just come from working in Yellowstone. And I said to me, perpetual adoration, uh, the Eucharist, uh, the art adoration chapel is like a hot spot. The hot spot is a direct link to the core of earth mm. physically literally the hot spots there's seven of them i wonder why there's seven sacraments there are seven mm. main hot spots in on on our earth and jesus to me, is so, god's us so amazing isn't god <laughs> yes so yes it's so it, it's so amazing how how i just love to make all these different connections taking time in adoration is that pause between breathing in pause and breathing out and I would wager most people don't even realize that they have to pause in order to breathe out and when we are conscious of that pause we are in adoration because that's our link to the core of who we are a spark of the light of God touching the hot spot you bet That's why being an FSPA is so important. I'm 2,000 miles from Yellowstone, but I have a hot spot right here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, with every sister that we're interacting with and every every time we're in the chapel, right? It's both and. Mm. Yes, yes. Mm. Yeah. And I really appreciate, and I have told people who I've worked with over the years, any of us sisters work with, we are all being prayed for in adoration. And that is just such a consolation for people who are struggling, people who are going through a difficult time. You are being prayed with because I'm connected with you. Yeah. Just yesterday, I was in the jail, in the Cook County Jail here in Chicago, and was telling the women that I was with that if they're ever wondering if anyone's ever praying for them, they can know that my community is praying for them in lacrosse because I am here with them and they are now a part of our ministries and our, our community mission. And you know what? I can, I think we could say the same to all the messy Jesus business listeners, whereas this podcast is a project of our community's mission. 
If they're you listening bet. to this podcast, they are part of the FSPA connection. They are being prayed for by FSPA, by our community, by our sisters as well. So yeah, welcome to the family of love listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, being a part of it is the same as what Einstein said in terms of quantum. He's, he said, everything is energy. One of the things he discovered, what is so amazing, everything is a wavelength. But when we pay attention, as soon as we look at it, it becomes a particle. Mm. So being in human form, being in physical form, someone is looking at us, i.e. God, which makes us a particle, which makes us a human, which makes us physical, which is so amazing. And so our prayer is giving attention to another which makes the connection with the divine. Mm. Thank you for the spiritual physics lesson today, (laughs) my sister. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) This is beautiful. Okay. Maybe it fits with like the persona of you being the nature nun. Which if the, I wish the listeners could see you like enjoying that title right now. And they go, I'm not just calling you mean names. <laughs> it's endearing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what's up with you and going barefoot? <laughs> when I was a child, I would go out and get the cows. And of course we didn't want to wreck our shoes going through the wet dew. So I went barefoot and I would go outside and I'd have to choose. Do I want the wet, dewy grass or do I want the sharp gravel? It's really cold. I don't want that cold, wet grass. So I'm going to do the gravel, which is kind of fascinating to me. I chose two things that could be looked at as painful, Hmm. but going barefoot connects me to earth, which connects me to the whole. And one of our biggest issues in health these days, and I have this from scientists and researchers from a number of different angles, Mm -hmm. one of our biggest causes of a lot of inflammation is we are not connected with earth. We got all this rubber insulating us and disconnecting us. Talk about sin, disconnecting us with the whole of who we are. It makes us think we're not a part of earth. Barefoot celebrates our oneness with earth. We are all earthlings. What you're seeing there reminds me of how a lady I know here in Chicago is oftentimes helping me to meditate on my rootedness and how I'm connecting to the earth. And she's, she's, uh, mirrored back to me that, um, because of the way that I am as, and who, who God made me to be, most of my energy tends to be kind of lived from the heart up. <laughs> right. And, and it's like, I'm doing so many things with my arms and my hands and my heart and my head, my head, my brain takes up like way too much energy, but she's like, your body is your legs <laughs> and your, 
your bottom half needs a lot of attention and energy too. So she's always reminding me like, you know, make sure you're wiggling your toes and you're stretching out your ankles and your legs and you're every day you're giving your, the bottom part of your body's attention because all of that is part of you. And it, it impacts my spine, it impacts the way I walk through the world and then where I feel pain and how the energy is flowing and how I sleep and all the things, it all does connect. So amen. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. And as a child, I remember whenever I didn't feel good, I would go and lay out on earth. Huh. Yeah. It has been demonstrated and shown that if we would go put our feet on earth, there would be less swelling of feet because the energy could flow back and connect with earth, which is our source. The energy can flow like lightning rods. This energy is coming into us and it's getting stuck. Mm. So we got all this stuck energy and where the energy is stuck is where we have pain. Mm. So connecting with earth allows the energy to flow through us in a flow. That's beautiful. That makes so much sense. Thank you. Okay. So sister Rosalind, what does discipleship mean for you? Discipleship is knowing that the historical Jesus came to teach us, to tell us the stories that God loves us because God loves us because God loves us. Mm -hmm. And that forgiveness is letting go of the rocks of pain and hurt and betrayal and allowing God's love to flow through us. Discipleship is knowing it, striving to be more fully that conduit of Christ's love flowing through us, in us, and within us. And discipleship recognizes I don't have to do it alone. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am here. It is when we connect with one another that we can share these stories. Christ came to show us how intimately we are a part of the body of Christ. Mm. The bread and the wine, the Eucharist, is that reminder, remember, Do this with me. Whenever you share bread and wine, whenever you partake of the gifts of earth, we are reminded that we are part of the whole body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And we can't do it alone. We got to be in this together, don't we? You bet. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I love about about the native peoples up here. They are so grateful. I have people praying for me every day in gratitude that I'm here. They have given me the space as I grieve the loss of my mother and my sister. And they are, they, they know it. They know it from inside out. Mm. And they radiate that Eucharist. Mm. Sounds like you're there to learn from them, not to be a teacher. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm here to listen to their stories and celebrate their way of being connected with each other. Connection. What's messy about all this? (laughs) Well, for one, nothing is for certain Mm. other than that we are loved. And Mm. God is a God is a God of second chances. And with uncertainty, it means you have to plant yourself, your feet firmly in mid air. Mm trusting that the spirit will give us wings to fly. When I trust, I don't have certainties. 
but I can respond to whatever needs are in the moment. Mm. To me, messiness is uncertainty. And fear is often because of uncertainty. And so to trust is to wade through the marsh, through the swamp, to discover that loonness or discover that new possibilities. I think of the chrysalis. A caterpillar is very structured and very certain. Caterpillars know what they are to do. They are to eat. (laughs) (laughs) And that's their mission. (laughs) And we have been caterpillars too long, Mm. eating ourselves literally out of house and home. You mean humans have been eating the planet. We've been consuming too much. We've been consuming. We're all about consuming and collecting. And Mm. when we collect, we take it out of the, the sphere of the whole. We take it out of the mesh of what is whole. Rose, this has been so great. And I've learned a lot from you today. And I think our listeners will learn a lot as well. And I'm wondering if there's anything you want to share with the listeners about how they can support you and your ministries and, and all the good that you're doing in the world. Read stories, stories of our fellow Americans, no matter what shade of skin tone, because we're really all one race, learn about the peoples who lived on the land where you are. Be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. A caterpillar is very uncomfortable not eating. Be willing to sit with that discomfort knowing it won't kill you. And we are responsible for what our ancestors did in the past by how we're going to be in a new way. And as we read, and listen to other people's stories, we can recognize with an openness our own struggles, our own issues, and hopefully be able to name our own traumas. Because if we go back far enough, we inherited traumas too. And the native peoples of this land have an incredible wisdom to teach us. Spend time with each other others who are of different shades than we are. Amen. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Julia. (laughs) I invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Whereas Sister Rosalind and I pondered the meaning of truth and the mysteries of time and nature and the call to oneness, I'm going to read for you a few verses from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, wherein Jesus is speaking with his disciples and inviting them to ponder the mystery of the truth and to be patient in its unfolding. I invite you to close your eyes and breathe deeply as you listen and pray. Connect with your body and your heart and notice how the word of God and the mysteries of truth and time and nature are inviting you to greater depth in the mystery of God's love. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 12 
through 14. I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and will declare to you the things that are coming. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.